0: Memory. Remembering. Any of you have any trouble remembering things anymore? The older folks are kind of chuckling and looking around. The older folks are thinking, what did he just say? (laughs) Memory. I've gotten to the point that my memory, I tell you, is no longer than my pencil. If I don't pull my pencil out, I won't remember it five minutes down the road. And yet I think about that when it comes to scriptural things. Did God know we'd have trouble remembering important things from time to time? Did did God know his people, though they may love him, though they may care for him, though they may be excited about being the people of God, would tend in the midst of their busy lives to forget at times? Why do you think the Old Testament saints had so many festivals throughout the year? They had all of these festivals, all of these celebrations, all of these times to remember and reflect on who God was. And not only that, but we're about to commemorate the Lord's Supper. Why did Jesus Christ institute the Lord's Supper? So we'd remember. This do in remembrance of me. Did Paul understand the importance of remembering? Again, we looked at this last week and we're going to jump back in, but if you look at Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul tells Titus, Remind them. Remind who? Remind the Christians, the Christians on Crete that are struggling to be what they ought to be in Christ. The Christians in Crete that need to be brought together as a solid, sound church for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Remind these folks to be, and then he goes on and tells exactly what Titus needs to remind them about. To be submissive, to remember not only where they came from, that once upon a time they were not saved in children of God, but to remember who they were, And we're going to talk about that this morning. That's what we kind of slid through last week. But also remember what that means. Because of who we are as God's children. And that remind again is not just an incidental word that Paul's giving to Titus as he slides through the passage. It's a command. He's saying, you have got to do this. I thought about that as I looked at the passage again today and I said, well, Lord, you know, we may have some visitors that the gospel will be something somewhat new to them. But for the most part... The folks sitting in this congregation, they know the gospel as well as I do. Why would we look at the gospel again? And Paul said to Titus, remind God's people. Remind them where they came from. Remind them who they are. Remind them where they're going and remind them of what that means. It was a verb that means to not only bring something to mind that's already known, but to think about it again. The purpose of Titus chapter 3, verses probably starting in verse 4, verses 4 through 8, is not only to remind us of the price that was paid for our redemption, it's to to cause us to think about it again. What does it mean? What did it really cost? What does it mean to me today? What does it mean to me for the future? And so Paul's saying, remind them because this is so important. And the tense of that remind is is a present tense, meaning keep doing it. As a young preacher, and I'm no longer a young preacher, but as a young preacher, I used to struggle with, you know, I don't know if I should give out the gospel again. These folks already know it. And I've fallen in love with the gospel more and more throughout the years. So that when I have opportunity to preach you what the gospel is, what it means, how it impacts our lives, why it impacts our lives, it's an exciting time. And we ought to get excited when we hear about the gospel because the gospel not only saves us, but it's the message of this gospel that carries us through to be what we need to be in Jesus Christ day after day after day. It's this gospel that promises us a home eternally in heaven. We have a promise from God Himself, and God never, ever reneges on His promises. And all of that's tied up in this gospel. And yet, we just sang Do you remember what we just sang? How good's your memory? Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. This do in remembrance of me. Why? Lead me to Calvary again. Because as oft as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we're going to look at this this morning from the perspective of what are we to remember? What is so important about who we are now and what should it do in our lives today? Look again at chapter 3, verse 4 of Titus. It says, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. We were saved. We were saved by God's mercy and God's grace. Many of the incredible aspects of salvation are found in the next couple verses. Verses 4 through 7 basically make up one sentence in the Greek, and it's all about our salvation. But it makes one sentence that we could spend months and months and months delving into the depths of that doctrine, of the truths of what's there. And Paul, as only he can do, pending by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, takes this whole huge doctrine of salvation and boils it down into one sentence and says, use this to remember. Never forget this thing. And as he does that, he takes these truths and reminds us of God's kindness of God's love, of God's mercy, of what it means to be washed for regeneration, of what it means to be renewed by the Spirit, of the fact that it's only by Jesus Christ that any of these things can happen. And then he finishes off this whole section by saying, and never forget, it's because of God's grace. Why grace? Why love? Why kindness? Why mercy? Why is he going through all of this? Well, it begins as we look at the fact that the author of this whole situation is God. God saved us. Look at verse 5. It says in the beginning of verse 5, He saved us. You can plug God into there. God saved us. And as Christians, sometimes we forget. Now, we don't consciously try to do this, but if we're honest with ourselves, aren't there times when we look at ourselves as Christians in Jesus Christ, and then we look at the world around us, and what's our conclusion? i'm a pretty good guy i'm not near as bad as that degenerate across the street who did x y or z i'm not as bad as the person i saw on the news i'm not as bad as and you fill in the blank and we kind of get this picture that we're good people no wonder god saved us no wonder the gospel came to me no wonder and, and i took the gospel message and i believed and i hope you did if you didn't, we're going to talk about it in just a minute. But if we're not careful, it becomes a, wow, I'm so glad I was smart enough to do the right thing. Isn't it too bad that those other people aren't as smart as we are? And Paul's about to say, remember. Remember that it's God who does this wonderful work. That it's God who's making this all happen. That a sovereign God in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it says, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That that same God in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 is not wanting anyone to perish, but all people to reach repentance. That that God is the God of John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should have eternal life, that the world might be saved through him. God instituted all that. And as Titus gets in with these Christian believers, Paul is telling him, remind these folks that God did that special work for you, just for you. It's God who is at work doing all of these things. And the aspects, when it says God saves us, again, we could spend months talking about what does that mean. Remember when we spent months talking about what that means, going through the book of Romans? Here we are, but just in a nutshell, why did God have to save us in the first place? And what does it mean he saves us? As Christians, we sometimes take these christian terms and we throw them around and we forget that some of the world's looking at you and says saves you from what well we were in desperate need when it said god saves us god saves us because of john romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 13 as it is written none is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks after god you look at romans chapter 3 verse 10 and what does it tell us about our condition before we come to christ none of us are good What does that do to the man on the street who's asked, do you know you're going to heaven? And said, well, I'm hoping that my good works will maybe my bad works. Take him to Romans chapter 3. Now, do it in kindness. Do it in love. But Romans chapter 3 said none of us are good. Not one of us. We are in desperate need of salvation. We're needing to be saved. Not only that, it says all have turned aside. The end of chapter verse 11 and the beginning of verse 12 is very interesting because it runs across the grain of some of the philosophy of Christian ministry today. It says, "No one seeks after God. No one seeks after God." So why would you have secret churches? You should have the most empty church in the world if it's just a secret church, because who's seeking? If God doesn't reach out and convict by His Spirit, no one seeks after God. That's exactly what it says here in Romans 3. And then it says, all have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 3.23, because all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We're in desperate need. We're in desperate need because not only have we sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death. We deserve eternity in hell. Say so you said that awfully loud. I did because we don't preach about it very much anymore. We want to preach about the love of God. Oh, unfortunately, some churches want to preach about tolerance and being woke and accepting everyone. And God says there's a standard, and if you miss my standard, which by the way you all missed it, then there's a hell, and there's a price to be paid. And we need to be saved. And it said, God's the one who does that salvation to the point that Romans 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You've got to come to Christ. You've got to make a decision to place your faith and trust in Christ. But it's because of what God did for you in Christ that you can even do that. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Ben read a wonderful passage on... The Passion Week. If not for one week in history, where would we be? God reached out. God did something amazing. So much so that John three thirty six tells us, whosoever believes in the Son has everlasting life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. We are in desperate need of being saved. And when we read in Titus chapter three verse five that He saved us, that ought to make our hearts jump. If your heart doesn't get excited over the fact that he saved you, you need to go back and remember. That's why we're about to do this. We need to remember what God did for us that we might be able to come to Jesus Christ. When it says he saved us, he saved us from some negative consequences, did he not? He saves us from the penalty of sin. That is God's divine wrath, spiritual death, and how we are saved from because of God. And because we're going to talk about in a moment that God did. Not only that, but in a positive sense. We've come to the knowledge of the truth. We're made alive in Christ. We're delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. We have the hope of eternal life. We come in here on Wednesday night and we've been studying Revelation and sometimes it boggles our minds and sometimes it goes over our heads and sometimes we struggle with it. But we always go away with hope for what reason? He's coming again. And when he comes again, what happens to us? Would there be hope if we were just gone? If there was no life after death? Would there be hope if we were going to be condemned because we deserved it and we did? The hope is in Jesus Christ and the fact that we have eternal life and that hope is because of what God did for us. The question is, not how, but why. Why did God do that? Why did God save you? Why did God save me? Were you so lovable that God thought, I just can't do without you? Now, some of you, I know you're lovable people. But we were all wretched. We were all sinners. So the question, because why would God do this? And again, Paul, in a very few words, covers a lot of death. But he says in verse 4, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. It's because of God's kindness. God's love for us. And we need to make sure we just don't take that for granted. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And that whole verse, when you stick it into context, is you can't live like you want to live. You have to live for God as his children because God's kindness, his forbearance, his patience are what brought you to where you are to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So it's God's love and kindness that does this. Our salvation is a consequence of what happened in God's heart, not in ours. Now think about it. Some of you won't like that phrase, but think about that for a moment. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God demonstrated, God showed us His love, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Were it not for the love in the heart of God, there would never have been love for the Savior in yours. It began with God's heart. It began with God's plan. And we look at all this and he says, not only does it begin there, but it's a result of God our Savior appeared. We, we, we just went through Christmas a couple months ago. Somebody, that's your favorite time of the year and it's an exciting time. Jesus Christ appeared because of the love of God. Christmas is only there because of God's kindness and love as he sends Jesus Christ to be, as Rene sang for us, the Lamb of God, who would be the Savior of the world. And all this is happening as Paul brings this in and says, but God did this. God did what? What did his kindness and love lead to? And these are only a few of the events, but think about the Passion Week. Think about and remember the agony in Gethsemane. Jesus Christ agonized in prayer in Gethsemane because God loved you. Not only that, but the betrayal of Judas. Judas had spent three years with Jesus Christ, he was close to those men. When you look and you see what happens in that last week, in those nights when Jesus Christ brought them together and instituted this Last Supper and told the disciples that someone would betray them, they all looked and said, Oh, it's Judas. Or did they? They had no idea who it was. They asked if it was them. And Jesus Christ, after pouring into this man, he betrays him with a kiss. Not only that, but what happened with the rest of the disciples that night? Jesus Christ was arrested, and for the most part, except for two, they abandoned him and ran. They abandoned the Savior, the one who walked on water, the one who healed the blind, the one who fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, and they fled. And there was the Savior, left all... Did he know that was coming? He told them they were going to do it. Did they believe him? No, they didn't. And then throughout that week, multiple trials, beatings. Our Savior spat upon. They took the beard and plucked it out of his face. And all of that happened to the point that Isaiah said you wouldn't even recognize him. And we kind of glamorized it because when you see this beautiful picture of Christ hanging on the cross, he still looks like he's just angelic in some ways. And he didn't look like that. And he didn't look like that for you and for me. Because God's love was being demonstrated. And then in the midst of all of these trials, probably the boldest of all the disciples, Peter denies him once. Denies him twice. Denies him three times, just as Jesus Christ predicted. And if you want to get the feel of the emotions of what God was doing for us at that, it tells us that after that third denial what happened, Jesus Christ looked out and he caught Peter eye to eye. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. But what about Christ? John's the only one who's left, the only one who's following through with all these things. And now from the denial of Peter, we go to the crucifixion. And the mocking crowds. The crowds who mocked him were the very people that he was dying for. The mocking soldiers. And then the cry, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? We could take weeks to delve into the depths of what that means. But Jesus Christ was made sin for us. He took your sin upon him at Calvary. And then finally the cry, it is finished. All of that because of the kindness and the love of God for you and for me While we were still sinners. So, this is God who's done this. He did it because of His love. He did it because of His kindness. He did it because, as we look at Romans chapter 1, for the sake of His name, it was for His glory. All of this in the plan of God. None of this caught God by surprise. God didn't create man and say, How did they ever fall in the garden? He knew before we got in the garden, we'd fall. God knew you before the foundation of the world. And he still did all this because of his love, because of his kindness, because he wanted to demonstrate his glory. And it gets on and said, Paul says, not only that, but as you remember all of this, as you remember why God saved us, remember this important point, it's not because of works done by us in righteousness. Because even while we remember all of these things, if you sit there as a Christian today, it's so easy to start thinking, I sure am glad I came to Christ. And I'll, I sure am glad I did too. But it wasn't because of me. When I look in the mirror, I can't say, well, here are the five things that I know. This is why Christ brought me to himself. I'm such a great guy. None of us can do that. And Paul said, remind them, remind these Christian believers that it's not because of the works of righteousness in us, but it's according to his mercy. God's, what do we mean by God's mercy? The easiest way to put that down is it's God's withholding The deserved punishment that we deserved and freely giving us salvation. That's mercy. You were freely given salvation by a God who could deservedly have sent you to hell for all of eternity. You want to know the depths of what that means? Get into the end of that book of Revelation and see how it describes the place that one day they're going to throw the Antichrist. They're going to throw the beast. They're going to throw the false prophet. And then they're going to throw everyone who didn't accept Christ as Savior. And God did that and spared us that because of his mercy. Not because we deserved it. Paul said, remember. Remember that. Why? Because he's going to get to verse 8 and he said, because it'll change your life. And if you forget, you'll waste your life. So remember what's happened there. And then we need to look at just briefly, how did God do that? Chapter 3, end of verse 5 and verse 6. He did it by the washing of regeneration and by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He did it, number one, by the washing of regeneration. And that word washing means to cleanse. To cleanse from defilement, from filth. And we were washed in what way? Washing of regeneration that came from 1 Peter chapter 1. Beginning of verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were forgiven solely on the basis that Jesus Christ shed his blood. God didn't buy you with gold. He didn't buy you with silver. He sent Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain for you. Remember. Remember, not only that, but the idea is, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Because Hebrews 9 tells us, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the Passion Week that we're looking at now, without Calvary, without the willingness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not only to give up his life, but to shed his blood for you and me, we would be lost. We would be under God's wrath. We would be headed for eternity in hell. See, that's not a very encouraging message. This is Palm Sunday. What are we looking at all this for? We're looking at all of it for because God did a wonderful thing in saving us. And not only that, he does another wonderful thing at the end of this verse. It says, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That renewal by the Spirit is a lifelong activity and experience of the believers. The idea is God gives us a new life and we live differently. We don't live like the world anymore because we remember and the Spirit of God moves. He empowers us. He does many things we're going to look at. But he helps us, number one, to fulfill Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable and perfect to people who know you in your neighborhood who work with you who run into you at the grocery store who see you driving on the roads can they tell a difference can they see something's different about you because according to this not only does god save us but he changes our lives he renews us as he puts here. He makes us different. We receive new life. Life from Jesus Christ through the Spirit that helps us to be different from the folks around us. Life that makes us what we're described as in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Says that he might sanctify her, talking about the church, talking about you and me, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Can you imagine? God wants you one day to be presented to Jesus Christ, not as sinners, not in the filth of the flesh, but in splendor and glory. The verse goes on to say, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. God wants you to be presented in the perfection of Jesus Christ one day. And he did that for you. You look and say, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You know, some of you dress up and you look really good when you dress up. Sunday mornings, I don't worry about Mondays so much, but Sunday mornings, I'm thinking, oh, wait, even Saturday night, what am I going to wear? What's it look like? Have I ironed my shirt? Is my shirt ironed? And then not having any wrinkle because I want it to look presentable. And on top of that, this morning, I'm working. You shouldn't, I, I know this. I've known this for years. I keep violating this principle, but I should not drink coffee while I'm studying. I get caught up in my study, and I forget that I need a sippy cup because coffee cups will tip. This morning, I'm studying away. I got this cup, and it's a nice warm cup of coffee. It was kind of cold when I came in. I got my hands wrapped around the coffee. I'm studying. I thought, that's a great principle. And there topples the cup. And all over my coffin, there's a spot on it. And I'm thinking, I don't have much time. I need to go over my message one more time. But I had to stop because I couldn't handle the spot. And I had to rinse it out. I don't even know if it's all rinsed out or not. But I I worked on it because I wanted to be presentable. When we meet God one day, do you not want to be presentable? You know why we're presentable? Not because of what I do, not because of what you do, but because of what he already did. And he's going to present us as the Spirit works in our heart. It says that we are predestined in Romans chapter 8, verse 39, to be like Jesus Christ. You are going to make it if you are in Christ. And as we look at this, Paul's saying, don't ever forget that. Don't forget that your ability to stand before Jesus Christ. In splendor, without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing. It's because of what he did. Remember what he did. Remember this week. Take some time to take a step back this week and read through that Passion Week again. To see, what did Jesus Christ do for me that I could be here right now today and about to participate in the Lord's Supper? It's what he did. It's the process of renewal in the believer making him the new Christian. And not only did he do that, but he says in verse 6, Whom he poured out on us richly. God richly poured out the Holy Spirit upon you. extravagantly, Gave you more than you could ever need or possibly use so that we could be like Jesus Christ. That idea of being poured out on us richly, you know, it started at Pentecost. When the Spirit of God was poured out on believers to live within him. But it's not just talking about Pentecost here. Because he said he was poured out richly on on us. God gave you his Spirit. Because of what Jesus Christ did for you on Calvary. So, said, well, how do you know that? Look at where the verse goes. He has poured him out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of what happened on Calvary, you have the Spirit of God to be standing one day before Jesus Christ in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, because of what he did. We need to remember. As we go through remembering all those things, it takes us to verse 7 and 8. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It says, so that. What's God's aim? God's aim is that we be justified, that we be able to stand before him not guilty. Because if you're not justified before God on the day of judgment, you know where you're headed? For eternity under the wrath of God in hell. But God said because of what Jesus Christ did. And because of how he poured out his spirit. And because of how you've been regenerated by the washing of his blood. We're justified by our own sheer determination to turn to Christ. Is that what it says? We're justified because we knew better than the guy that didn't make that decision. We're justified by grace. By grace through faith. You think about that. What would we do? I entitled this message, Saved by God's Mercy and Grace, because where would we be without the mercy and grace of God? Where would you be if God gave you what you deserved? That's mercy that we're here. Where would you be if Jesus Christ hadn't died for you and shed his blood for the that's grace? We didn't deserve that either. And as God looks at all those things, as we think about that, as we remember, Paul wants us to remember the fact that we don't deserve deliverance from sin and death. Now, one of us deserves to be born again. We don't deserve to become God's children and joint heirs. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve the promise that God will take us into his kingdom for all of eternity. But we have all of that because of God's mercy, because of God's grace, because of Calvary. And God looks at us and says, remember... What does he want us to do with that as we remember? Look at verse 8, and we're going to close here. In verse 8, he said, I want you to remember all these things because this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. He said, Titus, make sure people understand all this. Make sure they remember these things. Make sure they do these things so that those who have believed in God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. The good works don't save you, but they demonstrate whether or not you're saved. You want to know if you're saved or not? What are you living like? Look at what John says about folks that know Christ. It changes your life, and if it doesn't change your life, John says, examine yourself. You've got Peter. Could Peter put his foot in his mouth? Like nobody else in history. But you know what Peter said? If you look at your life and it hasn't changed, examine yourself. Did Peter's life change? That's the grace of God. Peter went from denying Jesus Christ to three, to three times to being the chief preacher at Pentecost. And 3,000 souls came to Christ. And God didn't stop there. Peter got used again and again and again because of God's grace and mercy, and he wants to use you and I as we go out, as we do good works, as we demonstrate what Christ means in a life. And the question now is, do you remember enough to be under the power of the Spirit to do that to be changed? Remember. Remember. Maybe more importantly, can you remember a time when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If you can't remember that, the rest of this doesn't work. We need to start with believing what God said about us. With putting our faith and trust in that finished work of Christ on Calvary for forgiveness of our sins. And a right standing before God. If you haven't done that this morning, you need to make that decision first. Because after that comes the hope of eternal life. After that comes a changed life that makes a difference. After that comes the opportunity to stand in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But it's only when you're in Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? If you're not, why not turn to him and place your faith in him today? If you are, Paul says remember. And let the Holy Spirit of God use it to change your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the wisdom of an almighty God who gives us opportunities to remember. Who gave his people in the Old Testament, all those festivals, to remember who you are. And Lord, you've given us wonderful opportunities to celebrate the incarnation. And Lord, maybe more importantly, the Passion Week, the death, the burial. And God, we thank you for the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll help us to remember. And Lord, more than that, I pray that it'll change our life as your spirit works in our lives on a day-to-day basis. And again, Father, if there's anyone here who's not yet come to Christ, I pray that they'll come to you today, that they'll look at your word, that they'll trust you, that they'll put their faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on Calvary, and that they'll see what the shed blood of Christ and the renewing power of the Holy Spirit can do to change a life as only you can do because you are the God of love, the God of mercy, and the God of grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.